Wow, it's uh, so good to be here at the living room. Thank you for not uh, watching the Grammys tonight or recording it, or you'll get to see the good stuff when you get back to your room tonight anyway. So uh, it'll, all the good stuff is at the end, so thanks for being here. Hey, I want to know how many uh, freshmen are in the room um, right now. Show of hands, loud and proud, freshmen in the room. Wow, thank you so much for coming, first of all, freshmen. I don't know how you found out about us, but um, thank you for getting to the living room. We're so grateful that you're here. Um, I um, was just thinking about coming into this series, what it was like to be a freshman again, and what it was like for me to make that transition from high school to college. And uh, for most people, I feel like everybody is eager to move on from high school, okay? I'm not saying people hate high school, because some people loved high school, because they loved who they were in high school, how, how they were, like, what their reputation was, what they were involved in. But, you know, college is like a fresh start. And for most people, that's a really, really good thing. But, but for some, like, it becomes like, oh my gosh, am I going to be liked? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be cool? Because I was cool in high school. Can I tell you how cool I was in high school? Like, pr- trust me, I was cool in high school. You know, you, you want to like prove it to people? Like, and they're like, no, you're not cool. Like for me, um, my uh, freshman year, I, I have no time to tell the story, but I'm going to tell it. So, um, and uh, my freshman year, my mom sent me a pair of blue jeans the first month of school. Like, hey, I miss you, son. Here's some blue jeans. And I had eight o'clock classes. And, um, and so... I didn't want to wake up my roommate, and I put on the new pair of blue jeans because I hadn't done my laundry, and I go off to the cafeteria, eat uh, breakfast, and walk out to my 8 o'clock class, and I have left the tag of the jeans on the back pocket, and and you don't know these kind of tags because they don't make them anymore, but it covered the entire pocket and was stapled to the pocket. And so I'm walking to class and some upperclassman says, uh, hey man, um, your tag is still on your pocket of your jeans, you know? And I'm like, yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like I tried to like play it off. Like, you know, like it could have been like intentional, but there was no way it was intentional. And it was just so embarrassing. Like first month of school and it's like, man, that guy totally knows I'm a freshman. You just look like a freshman, you know, on campus, lost all the time, trying to figure things out. And and college can can present to you, um, if you don't really know who you are, it can present an identity crisis for you. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is uh, this first thing is an identity crisis. As you get into college and it's like, hey, who are you? And we're going to be looking at that. And for me, when I was at Baylor, I I got into a fraternity because I was uh, scared to miss out on things. And I wanted my athletic hopes and dreams to continue in intramural sports. And so um, I got into a fraternity because I didn't want to miss out. And uh, something crazy happened my junior year. But uh, there was a a student uh, from uh, Kansas City, Missouri, who came to Baylor University in Waco, Texas, so a long way away from home, came came to Baylor. And um, this guy, his name was Dalton, was super involved um, at his high school, super popular. Uh, He was uh, a musician. He was good looking. He was an extrovert. He was very creative. But what was so amazing about Dalton was that he was like just incredibly confident, okay? And I don't mean arrogant. I just mean he was confident. Now, some people perceived it as arrogance, but he just was incredible at engaging people in conversation. And you just, as soon as you met him, you knew he was like, you know, self-confident. Like he's like, he's just a man's man and he knows who he is and he's, you know, comfortable in that. And, and so he was, the, the coolest thing about Dalton was he was quick-witted. He always had a response around people. And so he was just, Cool. That's all there is to it. And um, 
So he goes through the rush process to get into our fraternity, and he rubs some guys wrong in our fraternity. I mean, he was just like he met some guys in the fraternity, and they didn't like him. And they decided from day one, it was like, we're not letting this guy get in the fraternity. And I'm like, what is going on here? And I'm like, are they jealous of him? Like, he's good looking. He has all the attributes. And they were like, they were just on a mission from day one. He is not getting into the fraternity. And sure enough, when the voting came, they had stirred up the pot enough among 55 guys to vote Dalton not allowed to be in the fraternity. We're not giving him a bid. So bid day came, Dalton didn't get accepted, and it got really awkward. It was just weird for Dalton. It was like we had been establishing a relationship with him. We had been like pursuing him to get in our fraternity. And he was like, what? You guys don't like me? And like there was those weird looks on campus. He would avoid us at times. I mean, he would kind of give the head nod, but wouldn't come over and like talk to us, you know? And then all of a sudden, Dalton just decided he was going to transfer and left Baylor University and transferred to the University of Kansas. Because he's like, you know what? If I'm not going to be accepted here, I'm going to move on. And, and what's crazy is 55 guys is what our fraternity was made up of, pretty much. There's 11,000 students at the university. And it's because the opinion of 55 guys, it's like, I'm leaving. I'm not going to stick around for this. And so Dalton left. And he went on to try to figure out life somewhere else. And see, Dalton struggled with, with a question that I think most of us struggle with at some point in life. And he got into a situation where it was like, you, got, you, know, you were popular in high school. You kind of knew who you were in high school. People knew who you were. You were excited about life and, and all the things that you were involved in. And then you got into college and things changed. And you had to ask a question that he had asked in high school, but he didn't, and he had a good answer to in high school, but he didn't have a good answer to in college. And the question is this, who am I? Who am I? And all of us have to ask that question at some point in time. Who am I? Who are you? And depending on what the source is to the answer to that question will determine how you live life and how you to respond to life. And, and, and it's so important for you to have a great answer to this question, that you would discover who you are right now, that you would know who you are so that you can navigate the complexities of life. And this is why I love college. College is an incredible time of self-discovery. It is an amazing season of life where you can discover what you're good at, who your friends are, who you, who you want your friends to be, how you, what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And some of you are like, I'm not, not even close to that. You know, some of you are trying to figure that out now, and that's okay. Most of you are not going to use your major anyway. I just need to tell you that. Don't stress about it, okay? It's all right. I'm not using my major, and I'm proud of that, okay? But, but it's a great time of self-discovery. And, and the thing is, is you've got to figure out what defines you. Who defines you? What the source is for determining who you are? Because this is really important. Because if you don't know this, your identity right here, your identity informs activity. And so if you do not know the answer of who you are, you don't know what you're going to do. And what's even crazier is that confusion that comes around this idea of identity informs activity is the confusion that happens is that 
when you don't know who you are, you become insecure. And insecure just means that you are unsure or you're not confident in who you are. That's what insecurity is. And when there becomes confusion about who you are, then all of a sudden, you will make decisions that you will ultimately regret. Because you're basing your decisions on other people's opinions. You're basing your decisions on what people think of you. You're basing your decisions on the moment as opposed to defining the decision based on who you are. And see, the way we define identity is this. Let's, here we go. Oh, I'm sorry. You got to answer this question. I am blank, okay? You got to figure out, if you're trying to define who you are, you got to answer that question. So all of us know an answer to this question. Like, I am a son. I am a daughter. You are one of those, okay? I am a son. I am a daughter. Yeah, you know, or um, I am a big brother. I'm a big sister, you, you have to fill this, you have to answer the question, I am what? And if you were to say this today, what, what's the answer to the question? How would you answer this? What would you say to someone? Here's some things that you might say. <clears throat> oh, this is what I was trying to get to. I'm so sorry. Uh, Identity is determined by what we do, okay? That's what it, what, what's going on here. Identity is determined by what we do. And the second thing identity is determined by is words and opinions of others. Uh, what we do and words and opinions of others, okay? And so we've got to figure out, okay, is this, is this true? What, is this how I'm defined, what I do? Or am I defined by words and opinions of others? And so many of you might define it this way. I am a straight-A student. I'm a straight-A student. I know lots of you in the living room would define it this way. Some of you might define it this way. I am not a straight-A student. <laughs> Most of you would define it this way. That's why you're at the living room tonight, because you don't care. And that's awesome. I love it. So some of you might say, I am a yellow jacket. No, yeah. Or you might say, I am a panther. Yeah. All right. Some of you would say, I go to SCAD. That's like two of you in the room right now. You're the bees, by the way. Found that out today. Um, some of you would say, I'm an athlete. Okay. Others of you would say, I used to be an athlete. Okay. That's what college is like, by the way. College is like, I used to be an athlete. You know, you have those moments in college and you're like, hey, no, seriously, I was really good in high school. You know? No, our team, our team like went to state, you know? And people are like, who cares? You're in college, you know? No, but I used to be an athlete. That's what, that's what intramurals is all about. Some of you say I'm a boyfriend, I'm a girlfriend. Um, some of you say I'm a musician. Let's keep them coming. I'm an artist. I'm a brother. I'm a sister. I'm a comedian. I try to be a comedian. The thing you need to know is that Identity informs your activity. And when you base your identity on what you do or on the opinions of other people, in other words, what people think of you or what they say about you, when you do that, it's a real dangerous place that you can, can base your identity on because it's, it will lead you to basing your identity on your performance. And when you base your identity on your performance, 
you can get to a bad place in life because what happens is at some point in time, your performance isn't going to add up. You're going to not meet your expectations. You're not going to meet the expectations of someone else. You're going to ultimately fail at some point in time. And the problem is when you base your uh, identity on what you do or what other opinion, uh, people's opinions of you are, then you are going to ultimately equate, okay, I failed with, okay, I'm a failure. That's what happens if you base your identity on what you do and on other people's opinions of, of you. And so it could look like this. I'm a mistake. And you know, some of you think that tonight. Some of you think, okay, I have a brother who's nine years older than me. I was a mistake. And I'm not trying to be funny. Like your parents joke about it with you. It's like, hey, you know, we weren't planning on you, you know? And, and some of you are like, I'm a mistake. And you really, you've heard that before. And you like, think about that. But I just need to say to you tonight, you're not a mistake. You weren't an accident. But some of you are carrying around today. You're like, I'm a mistake. Some of you think you're worthless. I am worthless. I'm inadequate. Some of you believe that you are ugly. But you're not ugly. Do you know that today? You're not ugly. That's an opinion that's not true. I'm not good enough. I'm dumb. I'm lame. Many of you use the word lame. You're like, that's so lame. That's so lame. And then you just start attaching it to yourself eventually. I'm lame. I'm unlovable. There's some of you in the room tonight that you think that you are unlovable because of something that someone did to you. And it's simply not true. You are lovable. Some of you feel hopeless. And you say, I'm hopeless. And see, when you base your opinions on what you do and other people's opinions, then you are never going to find your true source of identity. And there was a woman in the Bible. And... Um, Jesus had this encounter with her, and we're going to look at this encounter that he had with her, who was struggling with some of these same thoughts, because she based her value and her identity on what she did and what people thought of her. And we're going to pick up the story in John 4, and it's uh, John 4, uh, we're going to look at seven, uh, verses 7 through 18, and um, this is the story of the woman at the well. Here it is. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, this is really interesting because Jesus had sent out with um, the disciples and they were going to Galilee, okay? And the way you normally would go to Galilee is that you had to walk around the town of Samaria because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. But the shortest route was going straight through Samaria to Galilee, okay? And uh, Jesus, not only did, did he want to go straight through to Samaria, to Galilee, but he also wanted to have this encounter with this woman. I really believe that. It was on the schedule. It was like, we're going to Samaria. The disciples are looking at him like, we don't go to Samaria. 
He's like, you know that, don't you, Jesus? We don't go. And he's like, no, we're going, it's, we're not taking the long way, okay? I'm going through Samaria and I got an appointment, okay? He's not saying that out loud to them, but that's what's going on. But just so you know, the history of what's going on here is that, um, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, okay? And this is long before Jesus came on the scene, okay? This is like in 722 BC, okay? And uh, in the northern kingdom got attacked by the nation of Assyria. And when they got attacked by the nation of Assyria, the Assyrians took over the nation. And because of that, Jews began to have relationships with Assyrians, Okay, and out of those relationships became a new people group called um, Samaritans, okay? That's what's going on, all right? And what's crazy is when the nation of Israel was restored and they started to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans showed up to help build the temple and the Jews said, no, thank you. And they're like, what's going on? And it's like, no, no, you are not pure. You're not clean. You're not good. You're not right. You intermingled with another nation. You broke our law, and we're not going to let you build God's temple. And so they totally did not let them associate with Jews anymore. So they're in Samaria, okay? That's the context of what's going on. Jesus has now shown up to this well, and he sent the disciples off to get food. Hey, go get some food. And he's sitting at the well by himself. Now, that is crazy, He's by himself, you know, 12 disciples, they're gone. He's sitting at the well, and all of a sudden, the Samaritan woman comes to draw water there, and they've just had this encounter. So we pick up. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Okay, now... In this moment, I just got to say, I would be confused if I was the woman at the well, okay? I, I just want to say that, you know, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, but um, this is weird um, because you've got nothing to draw the water with. You're asking me to give you a drink, but then you just said to me, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And to which if I'm the Samaritan woman, I'm saying back then why are you asking me for a drink? You know, seriously, like, what's going on here, Jesus? Like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're talking to me, because most men, most Jewish men would never talk to me, and you ask me for a drink, and then you tell me that you've got living water. So this is her response in verse 11. She says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Great question. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And she doesn't get it. And I don't blame her for not getting it, because I wouldn't get it either. I would be like, what is going on? I don't know what you're talking about here. And the next verses are key to the story. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so, Jesus states it plainly. He says, listen, this is not a physical thing going on here, okay? Yes, I wanted some water because I'm thirsty right now, 
But I'm telling you, I've got something greater for you. And this is like a spiritual need. He's trying to address a spiritual need in the woman. Okay? And she's not getting it. And I totally get that she doesn't get it. And I'm so grateful that I live in 2016 when I have a Bible that can explain it to me. Because I wouldn't have gotten it if I was the woman at the well. I would have been like, you're crazy. I really would have. I think we all, if we would have been at the well, we would have been like, you are crazy. You got nothing to give me any water, and now you're talking about living water. I have no idea what you're talking about. Last time I checked, water wasn't living, like moving, and other than when it goes down a stream, you know? I mean, I don't know what's going on here. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're, you're right when you, when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She responded. Now, this is amazing. She goes off to the city. She tells the whole city, the community she's in, everything, that she, all about the encounter. But what's so amazing about this moment is that Jesus touches on something that's amazing in her life. And it's like, hey, you, I don't know this for, for a fact, but I can tell you that I, I think it's pretty pretty obvious here. And he's like, listen, you've had five husbands. You've had five. And the sixth man that you're with right now, he's not going to meet your needs either. I'm just telling you, you have a spiritual need. And I am the only one who can meet it. And he didn't say it, but he said it by the very fact that he revealed what he knew about her life. But yes, He's greater than Jacob who built the well. He is the source of life. He is living water and he can meet a spiritual need. The only spiritual need that can be met is through Jesus. And so here's, here's a quote I want to share with you because this is amazing from a commentator named F.F. F. Bruce. But this is what he says. The soul's deepest thirst is for God himself who has made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. The soul's deepest thirst is for God himself. And I don't know about you tonight. I don't know how you got here, what brought you here this evening. But every single human being on the planet Earth has a longing for God. They have a longing for God in them. Some of it, it's buried deep. Some of it, it's covered up. Your heart is hard because of what this world has thrown at you. But every soul thirsts for God and it's never gonna be satisfied until you enter into a relationship with your heavenly father. Now, this is what's so crazy because this takes us back to the very beginning. When I say it takes us back to the very beginning, it takes us back to the beginning of like in Genesis, okay? And Moses wrote in Genesis chapter one, 
that, man, that God created man in his very own image. When God created man, he created him in the image of himself. Now, that should say volumes to us tonight. First of all, it, it, it talks about the closeness that God would put in man. He's like, I, so, I think so highly of you that I want to make you like myself. I want to put my image in you. And secondly, it should tell you that you are incredibly valuable to God. That every human being is incredibly valuable to God. That you were worth something. And see, if I, I can just go back to Dalton for a second and just tell you his story. Dalton knew God, and, and, and so I, I, I know that he knew God, but he did not know how valuable he was. And he didn't understand that his worth came from God. And, and the crazy thing about him transferring to the University of Kansas is that when he got to the University of Kansas, it was going to be the same scenario with just different people. And the different people that were going to be there were some were going to be his high school friends, so maybe he was going to find the acceptance. But at some point in time, Dalton was probably going to experience rejection again because that's what we're all going to experience at some point. I mean, life is going to throw that at us at some point in time. At some point in time, we're not going to measure up. At some point in time, we're going to let somebody down. And when you base your value on that, you're going to always feel like you can't measure up. And Dalton didn't know that his value came from God. And I think intellectually he knew that, but he experienced rejection and he couldn't handle it. And the crazy thing is, is that all of us here, I think we know that. I think we know, I think many of you, if I told you, we're starting a new series tonight, it's called Knowing You, and we're going to talk about your identity. That's what we're going to talk about in this series. Many of you in the room would be like, oh, well, of course, if you're going to talk about identity, then you're going to be talking about finding your identity in God. But the fact is that we continue to run to other sources all the time to validate ourselves and to give ourselves value. We run to sources all the time for that. We throw ourselves at things, full on into things. We try to please our parents. And there's nothing wrong with pleasing our parents, but there is something wrong is if you base your value on how well you please your parents. And it's all in our perspective. <clears throat> Jeremiah said it this way in chapter two, verse 13. He said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so this is amazing because this is long before Jesus came along. And the prophet Jeremiah just basically says, hey, first of all, God's people have forsaken God. God's people have forsaken God. They've just said, hey, no thanks. And he is the living water. He's the fountain of living water. And then people go dig for themselves, these own cisterns that can't even hold water. They're broken. And that's what we do all the time. We run to other sources in this world. We try to, to, to figure it out in what we do and who we know and what we can accomplish. And there's nothing wrong with who you know and what you do and what you accomplish. I want you to do great things 
in school. I want you to do great things in this life. I want you to glorify God with your life. But when you get your worth from that, that's where the breakdown happens. And so, in answering the question, who am I? I want you to think about what source do you run to? What source do you run to? What are the things that you that determine your identity? What, are the, what is the source for you? Do you run to other relationships? Do you run to that guy or to that girl? When you end a relationship, are you quickly looking for the next one? Because you can't handle being by yourself, being alone? Because this is what it all boils down to tonight. The source of your identity determines the course of your activity. The source of your identity determines the course of your activity. And this is what I want you to know as we begin this series together. The band's going to come in just a moment. But as you, as you begin trying to figure out the, the answer to the question, who am I? I want you to identify the sources that influence your thinking, your, your evaluation of who you are as a person. How does it make you feel when somebody says something that's not encouraging or that's critical? Why is it that you get defensive? What's, what's going on there? And those are true feelings, and I don't want to discount those. But I want you to determine what are the sources that you run to to determine who you are. Because the source of your identity determines the course of your activity. And what I mean by that is the source of your identity determines how you're going to live life. The way you live life flows from a certain source. And yet that source can either be what you do and the opinions of others, or it can be the one true source that gives life. So next week, we're going to be um, diving in to an influencing factor that, uh, that totally confuses us and deceives us when we try to figure out who we are. And I want to invite you back for that. But tonight, as we close, I just want you to think about this. There's many of you that for the first time tonight, you are here and you're like, man, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you're not going to find satisfaction in this life until you find what it means to be in a personal relationship with Jesus. And first of all, we're so glad you're here. We really are. We created this place because we want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And for you to find satisfaction in this life, you've got to have a relationship with Him. But most of you in the room here tonight know Jesus because I know you and I've seen you and I know that you know Jesus. And I love that about you. But here's what I need you to know. That just because you know Jesus doesn't mean that we don't often run to other sources. And those things are never going to satisfy you. And so I just want this week, I want you to think about the sources that you run to for approval, for worth, for acceptance. 
the relationships, specifically the relationships, like not just like groups of people. It might be groups of people, but is it your dad? Is it your mom? Is it competing with your older brother's expectations? Is it a professor? Is it a sorority or a fraternity? Or is it your major? Where are you running to? Because I want you to identify those things. And as those things come up this week, I just want you to go, why, do, why are you looking for fulfillment there? Why are you trying to get your value there? Why are you trying to find your worth in that moment? Because those things are going to lead you to disappointment and they're going to let you down. And I'm telling you, there's a heavenly father who loves you. And he gave his son to be in a relationship with you. And he's the source that will fulfill every single one of your needs. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And I thank you so much that he made a way, not just for one person, but for every single person in this room, God. That you put so much value on us, God, that yes, you made us in your image, but also you redeemed us through your son. And because of that, we are valuable to you. We are beautiful to you. We were created for purpose in you. And you have a plan that would blow our minds if you were to reveal it to us tonight. But you are worth trusting with everything we got because your love is so amazing for us. And we're so grateful for that. God, would you lead us in these next few weeks that we would understand the answer to the question, who am I? In Jesus' name, amen.